0: Charlotte Angel Connection, the Charlotte area podcast linking entrepreneurs, investors, and the broader Charlotte community. As you know, our goal here is to interview the individuals who are building, shaping, and influencing entrepreneurship in the Charlotte region so you can stay invested in Charlotte's growth. Today, we welcome back a a guest that we had, gosh, a couple years ago, I think it was podcast number 17 and 18, Matt Pateri. Matt is the CEO of Sunlight Financial. Um, so Sunlight Financial, as you'll learn through this podcast, recently announced a reverse IPO with a SPAC, a special acquisition corporation, uh, really interesting concept. This really come into spotlight over the course of the last couple, uh, I don't know, probably the last year or so. And upon their announcement, I reached out to Matt and said, look, you know, we'd love to have you back on the podcast. Your growth story over the course of the last couple of years has been fantastic. Um, a local fintech, as you'll learn, fintech company that's going public is a great story. You know, how have you gotten there? Where is it? Um, what's the SPAC process been like, et cetera? So fantastic interview today with Matt talking about really a great company. A great advocate for Charlotte, super humble CEO, and what their growth prospects look like over the course of the next five years, as well as where they've come from over the course of the previous five years. So a lot of fun in the podcast today, a little bit of education along the SPAC process for Matt too, and really excited to share this story with you about the Sunlight Financial Company that will soon be another publicly traded company with the headquarters here in Charlotte, North Carolina. So, enjoy another edition of the Charlotte Angel Connection. All right, Matt, welcome to the show, man.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: So how how exciting! So um, congratulations, first of all, on you know the journey you've taken. We're going to kind of dive into that a lot today. But you've come a long ways, and you've got a lot of exciting news to share with about you and the team. So again, congrats, man. Y'all have done great work.
1: Thanks, William. Yeah. It's definitely an exciting time for, uh, for our company.
0: So this is, uh, this is podcast number two with you, right? I think our, our original podcast was a, a few years ago. You had 50 employees, nobody in Charlotte knew who you were. Um, I think one, at least one thing has changed, right? You've got 200 employees now and, um, but I don't know if I walked through Charlotte South Park Mall that it's quite there yet, right? Um, so, just real quick, walk everybody again through who Sunlight Financial is, um, how you operate, and how you busted onto the scene so quickly.
1: Yeah, thanks. So, Sunlight is a point of sale finance platform. We partner with sto- solar installers and home improvement contractors. Uh, to help provide financing to their customers when they want to go solar or they want to make home improvements. Um, we were founded in late 2014 and into into 2015. Um, and we've had, you know, as you mentioned, we've had terrific growth over the last over the last few years. We're co-headquartered in New York and in and in Charlotte. Um, our model, and I said we you know we partner with with contractors, we have relationships uh, from everyone from the largest solar installers, some of the big public names you've you've certainly heard of. Up down to to uh, small local and, and regional contractors as well, um, and what we really do is we make it really simple for their customers to get that point of sale, that point of sale financing. Um, so you know you're right, we're we're not a we're not a household name in you know, across the country or or in Charlotte. Some of that is by design. You know, we really sit behind our contractors. We're pretty low ego company, so you you won't see us uh, advertising just to get our brand out there and make ourselves feel good. We really sit behind our contractors. Our job is to make it easy for them and easy for homeowners to get those home improvements done.
0: So um, a couple years ago, when we were walking through it, one of y'all's business model was twofold, right? You um, you make a little bit of money on the original upfront origination, and then you make a little bit of money on, because uh, you'll some of the loans you kept and some of the loans you sold off. Is that still the, how's the business model work? How do you make money?
1: Yeah. Um, So we actually don't hold loans on our balance sheet. So I described the, we have two sets of partnerships and I described the partnerships with the contractors on one side. On the other side, we have a, a, a network of banks and credit unions and other institutional capital provider who really want access to those consumers to make, to, to, to get these high quality consumer loans. And what sunlight does is we take those two networks and we bring them together. And so the, the homeowner or the contractor gets a, a loan at the point of sale to make it easy for them to finance uh, the home improvement, and then the capital provider gets access to high-quality originations. And so, Sunlight doesn't hold those loans on our balance sheet. Uh, by connecting those two parties with our proprietary technology platform and the risk management tools, we're able to add. We effectively earn what uh, what is a we earn what is effectively a, a fee. Um, so all of our all of the compensation we earn is upfront and in cash. Okay. So it's a really simple, really simple business model so
0: you're connecting capital to lenders or borrowers or
1: yeah that's um, exactly right
0: It's a pretty simple platform nice way to grow a business
1: <laughs> that, that's right it's it's been a very we, it was it was intentional um it's a it's a capital efficient way to grow a platform. If you look at our growth over the last few years, we've been able to we've been able to scale rapidly and do it in a, in a very capital efficient way. Um, so it's, it, is all, uh, it is all part of our intentional strategy.
0: When we talked in 2018, we were talking about saturation of the market, right? Because you know, it's always a question, how, how far can this thing run? Um, doesn't everybody already have solar panels? And we were talking about it. And I think at that point in time, you said there was a less than 1% saturation here. Like Hawaii, your greatest state, I think at that point in time, if I remember correctly, you so said it was like ten, eleven percent saturation, and even Germany with a high saturation was like thirteen or fourteen. Where do we sit from a saturation standpoint of solar installations across the U.S.?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, everyone does not have solar today. Um, yeah, so about about there's about a three uh, percent penetration of U.S. rooftops that have have solar. Um, if, if you think about the solar market, it's uh, called eleven or twelve billion dollar market. It's growing rapidly, it's growing you know, 10, 20, maybe even 20% plus per year. So it's a, it's a fast growing market, um, but it is early days and you're right. You know, if you look at Germany, uh, you look at California and you look at Hawaii, you know, those, those are uh, industry or, or really market leading penetration rates, um, you know, anywhere in the 10 to 20% plus range. Um, but it's, you know, so it gives you a sense for how big the market could be. Um, and those markets are, are still continuing to still continuing to grow. So it's a really interesting, exciting space. Um, we're really proud of what we've been able to do. We've helped uh, over 100,000 customers go solar. So we're proud of the impact we're able to make um, and proud of the great experience. And it's helped drive uh, terrific, it's helped not only has it driven the growth in solar, it's also been a, a big driver of job growth in the US. And so we're, we're proud of the contributions we're making to our community.
0: Yeah. So you speak growth, uh, job growth, um, we said it earlier, you've got you've gone from 500 or 50 to 200 employees over the course of the last two years. And you've done it in a co-location or co-headquarter space with New York and Charlotte. I went to your corporate headquarter, Rio, or opening a couple of years ago, and um, everybody was friendly. Everybody hung out with each other. Everybody knew they each other, right? It was a really cool little culture that you had going on. So how is culture maintained over the course of the last two years and now as you know as we'll discuss i mean we're with the reverse ipo um how do you how do you maintain culture over the course of the next five years
1: yeah i think that is the most important question um so i grew up professionally at, at MBNA, um and for anyone who knows MBNA, it was an incredible company with a true, genuine culture. People loved working for the company and really believed in the company. And the company stood for its team, we called the people of MBNA, uh, the community and customers. And, that, and those commitments were real. Um, and it really affected how I, how I think about things. So if I think about what we built at Sunlight, we're, um, we're proud of our growth, but we're really proud of how we've done it. Uh, we talk a lot at our company um, about our core values and making sure those core values are front and center. And we're actually living them one of the things I often tell people is we think of Sunlight as a 100-year company. We do that because it makes us think over a much longer term. It's not about just getting a little bit more growth or a little bit more revenue over the next month or next quarter or even the next year. It's about thinking about the long-term impact that we're having as a company. Um, and that long-term thinking and that that focus on culture we think is 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 really a differentiator and we think that's a big reason why we've been so successful. So as the company grows, it's even more important that we focus on culture every single day. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to do that. Whether we're a private company or a public company, um, culture matters. It, it, it plays a difference maker. Yeah. How,
0: how hard has it been over the course of the last 11 months with the pandemic? Um, offices are closed, I would imagine, to some degree with limited participation back in, back and forth. Um, you probably at some point in time had to make an announcement to the employees about this as well, which kind of, right, it, how, do, how does that conversation happen? It's tough enough in a, in a normal world. How does it happen in a remote world? How do you share the news, um, right? How do you maintain that culture even in this world?
1: Yeah, Wow. Well, you think about a year ago, um, and we were just starting to hear about this thing, the coronavirus, um, and wondering what the effect would be, and, and who would have thought that many of us would still be working from home you know, almost, a year, almost a year later. You know, one of the reasons we focus on culture is you, you focus on culture in good times so that you have it during tough times. It teaches people how to behave and what's acceptable behavior and how to approach challenges when there's no one else around to tell them how they should approach it, and it just becomes the core of, of who you are. And so we've always focused on culture. When we had the challenges um, of, of COVID and specifically the lockdowns, and we asked all of our teammates to work from home, people knew what to do. They are com- they committed to the company. They're committed to our partners. And, and our team knew how to behave. And so certainly the last year hasn't been easy. But it's been so impressive to watch our teammates step up, take care of each other, take care of our customers, um, and continue to drive our, our company forward in um, what is you know, <laughs> unprecedented has been overused over the last year, but it is certainly an unprecedented time for us.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so I'm really, really, really proud of, of the way the teams uh, face this challenge head on.
0: The, probably the last 10 months has been like a home builder's dream, right? Um, millennials fleeing the cities, apartments, whatever, moving out to the suburbs to you know, raise kids or just get away from cohabitation space or whatever it is it's also been remodeling dream. How's that, how's that bled through or impacted? I mean, have y'all seen the pickup as well or millennials more, or do you do, kind of combination question, do you do as much new home as existing home or how's that breakdown work? And then how have y'all seen growth impacted over the course of the last 10 months?
1: Yeah, so we're focused on, on existing homes, okay. uh, where so customers are adding homes. solar to their solar to their um, to their homes, and then to into home improvements. Uh, what's really interesting about solar is, is solar is sold; it's not bought. And by that, I mean, very few customers wake up in the morning and say, "Wow, you know what? Today would be a good day to go solar." What happens is, is a salesperson comes out to their home, or they call them, or when they're online, they 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 see an advertisement and they think, "Wow, going solar, I could likely save save significant money." And I can do something good for the environment. And so it's sold, not bought. The challenge historically in solar is the cost to acquire for, for a solar contractor is thousands of dollars, very expensive. Um, And so that's a significant and stubbornly high cost. And so when the pandemic and the lockdown started, solar and solars needed to figure out how do they sell remotely? They can't really knock on doors. Customers didn't want them in their homes like they did before, and it forced them to digitize. And so you know, it allowed them to start to sell through Zoom and do a Zoom call. And consumers were both willing to do that. And and salespeople learned how to sell that way. Um, and it's it's been a real benefit. It's a benefit that'll be here to stay. So rather than drive 30 minutes to somebody's house for an appointment, sit down at the kitchen table and then drive 30 minutes to the next one, they could bang out appointment after appointment much, much more efficiently. And so what's interesting for solar is, in April, May last year, or March or April last year, we saw significant decline in the entire market. Coming out of that, we've seen significant growth. And we think that growth is here to stay because of the change in the digitalization of, of sales. Um, so over the long term, uh, we think it's it's been helpful to the overall the overall process and to adoption.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, and just... I mean, I think that you know we talked about it a couple of years ago. The green energy movement was was moving then, anyways, and it, for whatever reason, it seems like it's accelerated its pace over the course of the last six months. Too.
1: That's right, and there's a virtuous cycle. The the you know salespeople often, solar salespeople often say the hardest house to sell is the first house in the neighborhood, because once that first house puts solar up on their roof, all the neighbors start saying, "Wow, you know that." It it looks good. I have a different image of what a solar panel looks like on the roof. It it looks great. And wow, how much money are you saving a month? And how much over the lifetime? And how easy was it to go solar? And you start to see something like 30% of of solar installations are from referrals. And so as you see more customers going solar, um, it feeds upon itself and and it creates that virtuous cycle.
0: Yeah. So if there are any installers out there listening to my podcast, I'm a corner house (laughs) south-facing that I'm anxious to put um, solar panels on. So I'll take the phone call, right? I'm an easy sell at the moment. So there you
1: go. Well, I know, I know a few who would love to speak with you.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. So um, let's, I mean, let's talk about, you know, the kind of cool thing in your space right now, right? I mean, you're in the process of, is the technical term reverse merger, reverse merger, or reverse IPO? What's the technical term that we're going to talk about, Matt?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a it is, it is similar to effectively a, a reverse merger. Um, you know, it's a it's a business combination with a with a SPAC. Um, and so, yeah, and that's it. It effectively has the the end result is that Sunlight will be a will be a public company upon all approvals.
0: So. Um, so let's, let's dive. It's funny. I was again. I was listening to the podcast from a couple of years ago, this, and I asked you whether or not Bank of America was a potential exit strategy, and you um, you kind of like laughed and almost patted me on my head like that's that's probably not the direction this is going to go, but we'll entertain it for a second. So it turns out Bank of America wasn't your exit strategy, right? So you're gonna. This is probably a much better route. Um, so how um, how does it happen, right? How were um, was were you, did y'all initiate the conversation where you approach can you talk about that aspect of it or just how do we get to the point where you're going to be a publicly traded company probably before summer
1: yeah so um, first it happened you know starting five years ago and i think that's really important um you we thought about you know when we thought about the team that we were hiring and the controls that we put in place and the business that we were scaling we had a very long term vision, so we didn't know for sure if the ultimate path would be to be a public company. Um, but we certainly built the business to be ready for that option and we gave ourselves that optionality. Um, and so, again, if you look at our, our, our platform, you look at our team. Um, this was a business that we very intentionally scaled and thought about doing it in a in a in a thoughtful way. Specifically, um, you know, in the call at the, the middle of last year, um, going into the third quarter of last year. We were starting to consider um, what our strategic options are, and you know we had a range of options available to us. Uh, we could have raised capital. We were we are a private company. Could have raised capital from a private equity firm, from a financial sponsor, and stayed and stayed private. Um, we could have done an IPO. We could have tried to do a, a strategic get acquired by a, a strategic, and then a the SPAC was also an option. And so we looked at all of these options, and for us. Uh, we thought for we and our, and our board, we thought that the SPAC was the right, the right approach for us. Um, It was the right approach for a few reasons. So first um, being a public company, we think will help our business. It gives us access to the public markets. It gives us credibility. It gives us um, the ability to continue to accelerate our growth. And so we liked the path of being a public company. When we thought about the options there, we liked the SPAC uh, because you know, one, we get to, we can tell our story to the market um, and you typically can't do that as much in an IPO. And so we can, we can you know, share with investors um, how we think about our company, what we think the growth prospects are, and we can, we can, we can tell that overall story because it is a business combination. Um, and for those that are interested, you can go onto our website and you can see the presentations that we've shared and the full legal disclosures and everything else that goes with that. Um, but it gives, but it gives a lot more context. The The other benefit is, by going public um, in a SPAC, you effectively choose a partner. And so um, Spartan 2 is the company that we'll be merging with. Um, Spartan, Spartan 2 is sponsored by Apollo, um, you know, which is you, one of the biggest asset managers uh, in the world, really understands the renewable energy space, really understands financial services, um, has real credibility, is very thoughtful and can be helpful in a number of strategic ways. And so to be able to go public with a partner like that at our side uh, was was very attractive for us. Um, and so that's why, you know, for all of those reasons, we decided to go down this back path.
0: Um, you know, you run into a you know a lot of people in the startup space that will tell you, no, I don't want to go public. I'm building this to sell it. And then other people would say, um, I'm building this to go public. I want to run a a public company. And we didn't touch base on this a couple of years ago. Um, um, I know how you feel about it. But I mean, when you started this thing in 2015, right? I mean, the concept of being a public public company CEO is a different ballgame than being a private company CEO, right? There's different rules, responsibilities, stakeholders, um, all the things that come along with it was that, you weren't shying away from it, obviously, because you knew it was a possibility, but how did you view that in
1: 2015? Yeah, so, well, first, you know, to the first part of your your comments, there are certain companies that know, based on what they're building, they're not going to be a public company. They, you know, they know, you know, and that's probably the majority of young companies or startups. They know they just they, they'd never get to the scale, the type of product that they offer. They'll ultimately get acquired by someone. A company like ours, you could try to go down the strategic path or you can go down a public company path. Um, and you never really you never really know which you'll end up in. Um, but we knew that the public company path was, was, a, was, we thought a long-term good opportunity. And that's why we spent all of that time thinking about hiring the team that if we were a public company, are the, is these, is this the right team to lead us as a public company, having the right controls in place, having the right technology platform, thinking about things over the longer term, um, and having, you know, consistent profitable growth, not just rapid growth that you can, that you can you know, turn and sell. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, we, it, it forced us to think a little bit, a little bit differently. Um, and we, we, we always thought it, it would be exciting for the team, good for the business, uh, to be a public company. And, um, the opportunity came along
0: Do structuring it knowing that the the potential end goal hiring the right people having the right processes in place does it cause you to to drive a little bit slower does the initial pace of business because of trying to get the the culture right the fit right the processes Mm -hmm. does sometimes does sometimes it feel like you're banging your head against the wall because you know, it could drop faster if you just, if it would just let you, um, was that a, an issue?
1: Yeah. So, um, you're, you're right. There's always this, there's always this trade-off. And, and I think it's, it, it's funny as we talk to people about our growth and you look at the growth that we've had, um, over the last few years, we've grown it, you know, a CAGR of 50% plus over the last few years. So that's really impressive growth. Um, candidly, it could have been, it could have been faster. It could have been faster if we didn't focus on helping our partners originate very, very strong credit quality loans. And if you look at our credit performance relative to others in the market, um, we think it's a real strategic advantage. Uh, but that came at the, you know, at the stake of, of what could have otherwise been even faster growth. Um, if we think about the controls that we put in place, um, if we think about ensuring that we always had enough capital for our, for our partners, all of those, in our contractors, all of those were decisions where we took the long view rather than the short view, and there was probably a little bit more volume and a little bit more revenue there if we had taken a shorter view. Uh, but we didn't think that's the right way. Go back to the 100-year company mentality. That's not how you build a 100-year company. And I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you an example. We, um, a few years ago, we had the opportunity to, to uh, partner uh, with one of the countries, if not one of the world's largest uh, solar installers a uh, very well-known uh, large installer. When we, when we signed up with them and we had relationships with capital providers, our volume instantly jumped significantly, multiples. And so rather than, you know, so we signed up with our capital providers. When we went out and made a commitment to that, that new installer um, that we'd be able to fund their loans and that we'd grow with them, before we even had that conversation, we talked to our capital providers about upsizing their commitments because what we wanted to make sure was we weren't just selling ahead. If we couldn't fund their loans, nothing else we could do would matter. And so we didn't want to sell ahead. So we ensured that our capital providers um, were able to support their growth and not just that one partner's growth, but the rest of our, pro- our partners as well. Um, and so we were really intentional about it. The other thing that we did was during that period of time, we stopped selling and stopped bringing on new partners. And for a young company, that is the opposite of what, you know, you think about, you know, West Coast VC-backed companies, you know, what are you supposed to do? You grow, growth solves all problems. But we didn't think that was the right answer. We wanted to make sure we had this huge partnership opportunity and we had other existing partners. We wanted to make sure we gave them a great experience and we knew they would look back on that over multiple years about how we handled it. As we stopped bringing on new partners we really focused on, on executing for those relationships. And once we felt confident, then we expanded to the new partnerships again. And you know, in hindsight, that seems like an obvious thing because you know that you'll build the relationships, you know you'll grow over time. In the heat of the moment when you could be adding more partners, it's a lot harder. But again, that's a hundred year view. You think about the longer view and say, this partnership matters to me, but it doesn't just matter for the next quarter. It matters for the next decade. Um, and it's that mentality that we think is just really important. So yeah, we, lots of examples of when we could have grown faster. Um, but we think this is the, this is the better longer term strategy.
0: So, um, I got to ask this question on that note, then, um, you ter- you'll be a public company, right? And we all know wall street and we all have a love or some of us have a pure hate relationship. And some of us have a pure love relationship. I happen to have a love hate relationship, Wall Street's quarter over quarter, right? What have you done for me lately? Um, how, you know, you've got to talk to analysts once a quarter about your performance and what's the outlook for the next quarter. Why didn't you do this? Or why, and you, now all of a sudden you've got a boatload of people questioning the the view and you want to drive the ship the right way, right? You want to, you want to build a company for a hundred years and that's not always going to match up with the little analyst that says that you should have done this instead. How do you, how do you prepare for that mentally, knowing that from time to time you just feel like ripping your hand through the phone and dragging them <laughs> through it? Right.
1: Yeah. So you know, there will there have always been and there will always be people who will have a different view. Some will criticize for for you know, candidly, very fair reasons. Others will have an axe to grind. Um, yeah, that is that is the nature of being in a leadership role. Um, it was true as a private company. We've met with hundreds of investors who've told us they're not interested in funding our business. Um, you know, candidly, they would have done very well if, if, if they had, you know, if I think about equity investors. And we've, we've had some terrific equity investors who have supported us. You're right. As a, as a public company, though, the spotlight's brighter. Uh, you're under a microscope and you're under a quarterly microscope. Um, when we, we think about it in many of the same ways I talk about the contractor relationships, in the capital provider relationships, being honest, being transparent. We will make mistakes. Um, you know, we we know that we will make. You know, no one is perfect. Every company, every individual makes mistakes. The, we think the key is to be transparent uh, and to and and to execute. And yeah. if you do those two things, it doesn't mean that every quarter will always be perfect. Um, but we think over the long term, we'll we'll do very well. And you build credibility and you build trust, and it takes a long time build trust, and it takes a very short time to lose it. And so, you know, it's something that we'll have to manage and have to be really thoughtful about. Yeah. Um, Yeah. One one other thing I will say is, you know, if you're an analyst or you're an equity investor, um, it's also not easy. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, investing money on behalf of a pension fund, and you think about what you're, you're trying to do, and that's a very, you know, trying to get more growth and trying to allocate capital is a very worthy goal. Um, And it's important sometimes when you're sitting on the other side of the table to not look at that person like they're doing something that is unfair or unreasonable. They have their own set of pressures. Um, And if you think about, you know, the firefighter or the cop or the teacher's pension and wanting to maximize those pensions, that's not such a terrible thing either. Um, There's obviously a balance. We want to think about things over the long term. But, you know, sometimes understanding the pressure that other people are facing is, is important as well.
0: I agree. Um, I grew up, or I, I spent six years in Baltimore. So you know, if I need to help you take care of some analysts as well, which is (laughs) I I know some people. Uh, But you're you're right. I mean, um, I mean, the cool thing about the business where it sits today is you do have the wind at your back, right? You've got um, most likely a recovering economy. You've got you know people that are moving into houses over the course of the last couple years. You've got an increase desire to be economic or um, environmentally friendly um so all of those things would line up and say growth over the course of at least the, probably in the next five years should be a fairly feasible thing to attain so you do have time to establish that credibility in the marketplace yeah you'll make some mistakes along the way as we all do um, but um but the business the business really seems to be set up well for the foreseeable future so um, I'm excited yeah. about what you've got.
1: Yeah, we think it's, uh, it's definitely an exciting space and an exciting market. Um, and we agree. We think there are a number of tailwinds.
0: Um, a couple of years ago, and we're going to dive back into the business in a second, but we're kind of talking about um, the, uh, public companies. We talked a couple of years ago about the Charlotte ecosystem and how it would be helpful for the Charlotte ecosystem to have a big win. And to have a company go public. Um, And as we were talking about that conversation, we were talking about, you know, two of the more popular ones at that point in time, which were obviously Avid Exchange and Red Ventures. So, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't bring up sunlight like financial at that point in time, Matt. You should have filled me in that the um, that, y'all, that, <laughs> that y'all are going to beat them to the pat punch. So I just I thought it was neat that you know one of our one of our nice big wins for the city is going to come from a space that you and I talked about and completely avoided in in, in a, what should have been an obvious conversation. So
1: yeah, I mean we've talked for a long time about Charlotte being uh, the intersection of of energy. And financial services, um, which is really interesting because that's exactly what what sunlight is. Um, you know, this is this has been a great city to help grow our business, as has New York. Um, and if I think about you know, Charlotte in particular, you know, being able to work out at a Packard Place and working with uh, working with Dan Roselli uh, to immediately get space to allow us to focus on growing our business um, and to be incredibly supportive. Um, the city's been the city's been terrific and I think we're gonna see lots of uh lots of others uh having putting some wins on the scoreboard pretty soon as well yeah so um so we'll stay there for a second so you were one of the
0: first tenants at Packard Place right I mean you were very early on tenant at Packard Place um and then um and we've got you know uh dan with his q c fintech accelerator we've got the jules program here um where i mean how does you know um how does the Charlotte energy financial ecosystem look to somebody that's that's run it right? I mean, you were you were where those folks were six or seven years ago, so you know how do you look back at how do you look back at it now from a maturity standpoint, right? I mean, you see what's going on around the city.
1: Yeah, I think you know there is no secret recipe. Um, you know, it's kind of equal parts uh, good execution. Uh, having a fair amount of uh, having a fair amount of luck and being in the right place at the right time. Um, So success for any individual company kind of, kind of varies. Um, Yeah. I think one of the biggest benefits of of companies like Sunlight um, and there are a number of other companies who have had a lot of success is uh, Charlotte has traditionally been a big big banking town. And so the, in a, in a, in a big bank, there's a linear path to, you know, continue to expand your, your career. At a young company, uh, a startup or a growth company, the path isn't so linear. Um, it, you know, it can be a little bit more volatile. And so for people who are inside of banks who now look out and see others having success outside of a big bank's walls, it will help attract talent to these young to these younger companies that are trying to grow. And I think that's really important. I, now, I know as I talk to people and friends of mine, um, who worked at some of the big banks in town and talked about leaving to go do to go do sunlight. Some of them said, wow, I really admire your willingness to, you know, put it on the line and take a risk. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's true, but to a certain extent, not doing something is, is also got its own risks. Um, you know, and look, all kinds of businesses have faced all kinds of challenges. And so there was no guarantee of employment or happiness or success um, at a big bank or any or anywhere else. And so you know, giving people that perspective that you can go follow your dreams, you can go do what's exciting um, is something I'm, I'm pretty proud of. And I hope we see uh, lots of others you know, kind of taking that, taking that same leap.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I talked to a founder this morning. He said, am I crazy? And I said, no, I think you're crazy if you don't do it. So, you know, you've got the opportunity, you've got the skill set, um, you've got these things to follow through on, which leads us to the... Will sunlight and it's hard for you to say, right? But speculate with me for a second. You've got 200 employees, at least 50% of which are here in Charlotte. Um, you're going public. Um, you sit at the intersection of finance and energy, which in Charlotte is two big industries, right? Can sunlight spur almost a little bit of a startup activity, arrangement, movement, acceleration, etc.? in that clean energy-ish space and how it operates within the Charlotte ecosystem? I mean, are you putting a flag in the ground that said, come here and build," in an, kind of that type of startup? Can that happen?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think as people see success stories, uh, clean energy and financial services success stories, um, I think that inspires people um, to, to do something similar, and they, they look at it and say, "Hey, if they can do it, why can't I?" And that's hundred percent fair. And so it spurs people on to 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 take that to take that leap. You know, there are you know a number of other uh, local uh, renewable energy companies. You know, for instance, Power Home Solar is just down the road um, in 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 Mooresville, and uh, terrific company focused on uh, solar installation. And you know, a, another great local success story. So, and there are numbers, number like that.
0: One of the reasons people set up companies is because the public company eventually starts to acquire companies. So, um, And I know you're not in an acquisition mode and I know you can't talk about future acquisitions, but um, you know, as companies get bigger, they start to figure out ways that they can grow through acquisition. And I would imagine that would be one potential way to grow that ecosystem here. Um, so um, I don't know if that's something you can talk about or um, we'll skip to the next question.
1: Yeah, so I uh I, I what I can say is the you know, public companies uh, have give you a public currency and so that gives you some flexibility. Um, but you know, certainly can't can't speculate about uh about acquisitions as we as we look forward.
0: So no insider trading information going on or our podcast <laughs> today huh, Matt? So, um, no, so
1: we playing right up the middle. Right up yeah, the middle it, I on.
0: hear you. That's fine. Um I like I like staying out of jail and as somebody <laughs> told me the other day, I don't look good in orange. Um, so um, go back to the spec. So um, when uh, when will you be a publicly traded company? If all things go well, yeah. right? It's a it's a process.
1: Yeah. So the key steps are uh, we file documents with the SEC. Uh, the SEC would need to approve uh, the the merger, and then Spartan Two will have a shareholder vote. Um, and then after that, you know, upon approval by by shareholders, upon a, you know, we would then be a public company. We'd merge and effectively become a public company. If sometime in the second quarter uh, seems reasonable, but we have not put a definitive timeline around it.
0: Okay, one of the one of the leaders of the SPAC movement is um, you know a gentleman whose name I can only pronounce his first name, so I apologize. Um, but Shamith is behind you know this this SPAC that y'all are merging with. What's it? You know, have you have you spoken to him directly? What's it like to kind of be partnered with somebody that? Has really broken ground in a space that was probably long overdue to be broken ground on. Um, I mean, it's, it's got to be pretty cool. You know, I mean, as he said the other day in an interview, it kind of feels like the next stage Warren Buffett. Um, that's kind of a neat person to be associated with. So, to what extent, you know, talk to us a little bit to the extent that you can about who you're partnered up with, what it's like to be kind of on the ground floor of a, a neat movement.
1: Yeah, so we're really appreciative of the support um, and it was specifically support in the, uh, in the pipe process from some really terrific, uh, very smart uh, investors. So, so Chamath and KOTU and BlackRock and Franklin Templeton, you know, and, and a number of others, uh, we're, we're very supportive. Um, and we really appreciate that. And um, you know, we're, we're proud, I think it says a lot about what we built here at, at Sunlight, um, gives us some, gives us, certainly gives us some credibility. Um, we appreciate their their support and others investors and in support as well
0: yeah um you said you mentioned something that i didn't catch on so i would imagine investor or listeners didn't catch on as well you said the pipe process what's that
1: yeah so when i when i uh the way a spac works um for those who aren't as familiar with the spac is a spac is effectively they're known as blank check companies yep they go public they raise capital um, as part of the IPO process. And that those funds sit in trust and their entire purpose is to find another company to merge with, invest capital into that business um, and pull that company. And when the company merges, then the target company in this case, Sunlight is effectively a public company. The, um, as a part of that process, the SPAC will also go out and raise a pipe. Um, it's a private uh, investment in public entity. And that will bring additional capital in. So the, the SPAC has cash and trust. They go out to PIPE investors. The PIPE investors commit to make an additional investment at time of closing, and that provides more cash uh, to the company to either buy existing shareholders or buy shareholders out of, or at least in part, out of the uh, out of the target and or to put cash on the balance sheet of the of the target or the new combined company. And so, you know, through that process and we announced publicly that we raised or rather Spark to raise the pipe um, and there were a number of, of terrific investors uh, that, that came along and were supportive of the process. So
0: that's um, that's cool validation, right? I mean, you just mentioned a number of really neat investors that are part of the process that believe I mean, in two things, right. Um, there's, they believe in the leadership and you have to sit on at the head of the leadership from that capacity and they believe in the company, right. The company that you spent the last six plus years building. Um, how does, I mean, how does that, you know, how does, what kind of validation do you and the team get from that? Right. That's gotta be really neat.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely is a source of pride, you know, uh, you know, Neuberger or, or 2 or any of the investors that I, that I mentioned, um, you know, step up and, and Chamath step up and, and say they, they believe in the company and they support the company and they want to make it an investment. We raised a total of 250, where the total amount of closing will be $250 million incremental. Um, you know, something where, uh, something we're definitely very proud of.
0: Yeah. So, um, I'm a big advocate of taking a minute to celebrate. So, um, has um has Matt celebrated yet, and has the team celebrated yet, or are we waiting until um, all documents are official and we're signed off so um where's where's the celebration day at stand at the moment
1: yeah so I think a couple of things so first, we're not closed um so I think we, you know, we have something to be something to be proud of uh, but we're not we're not we're not closed yet yeah. um you know and secondly. You know it is definitely something to be proud of, and this is this is a a, a nice milestone for the company um, but you know our core mission is not to be a public company. our core mission is to help contractors sell more to help our capital providers to help to help uh, the communities in which we you know we live and work that that's what we wake up every day for and so yes, is this something to be proud of? Yes, I'm really proud of the team that we've been able to do all the things that has that has created this. These levels of investors who are interested in supporting our company and has put us on this trajectory, Um, but you know this is a this is a means to 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 execute on our on our mission.
0: Yeah. So what is you know we talked a little bit about it, right? But um, how does how do the next five years shape up for sunlight? Where do you um, obviously growth, right? There's no question about that. The company, the space, everything about uh, I think solar installations is is on the right path. How does how does the company grow over the course of the next five years? How do you enable those yeah, contractors? So,
1: yeah, so I think a few things. So, so as I mentioned, it's it's still early days for solar. So we think there's a lot of growth in solar. Uh, we've announced that we've expanded into home improvement a little bit more than a year ago. And that's a really large market. Um, it's a 400 billion dollar market. It's highly fragmented, and there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow there. Um, and so that'll that'll drive additional growth. And um, you know, fundamentally, we'll continue to make enhancements. We have a proprietary technology platform. We call it Orange. Um, we'll continue to make enhancements to Orange. We'll continue to roll out new products. We'll continue to support our partners, um, and we'll we'll stay committed and focused on our on our core values. And that's 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 the recipe for future success.
0: So, does technology drive? You, I mean, right? You started off as a as a as a lending arm, essentially, right? Um, but technology that's going to be a big play for you all over the course of the next five years, making sure that technology helps your partners.
1: Yeah, uh, so our technology, so, so Orange makes it very simple at the point of sale. If you think about that sale, if you're a solar installer or a salesperson, you, you, you talk to the customer over Zoom, then you go out to their home and you show them the design. And you get them to design the proposal and they say that want they want um, to go solar. At that point, the solar installer hands over that customer to sunlight um, to process the credit application. And so it is our job to make sure there's no friction in that process. And then on behalf of our capital providers, we do a, a very thorough and robust underwrite. And and that's exactly what Orange does. You can A solar customer or homeowner can go from credit application to full approval in less than two minutes. Um, and it's so easy. You could actually take your take the app on, on an iPhone or an iPad um, or another tablet and take a picture of the driver's license and it uploads the driver's license, um, all, that, all that key information. And so it's just a few more clicks to, to, to complete the credit application. So we make it very, very simple from a user experience standpoint. And then what, what the user doesn't see is all of the robust underwriting that we're doing underneath, title checks and income reasonableness checks, uh, fraud validations. And you know, pulling in and approving credit on behalf of the capital provider. All that's happening underneath. So it's a really robust underwrite at the same time. It feels like a really simple process to the homeowner. And that's all the result of our of our technology platform.
0: So I mean, um, so the tech's super robust then. So I mean without the tech, it's it doesn't you can't grow as fast as as you need to, want to, or have.
1: That's right. I mean, part of the value we're providing to contractors is we're help provide financing at the point of sale at the kitchen table. And so, you know, it's ensuring that that, that credit is available to the homeowner. And it's also ensuring that it happens efficiently. Now, the contractor and the homeowner don't want to leave that that table and get up and go to, go to a local bank and figure out if they can, you know, get approved for credit and, and wait the days or weeks or sometimes even months to get credit. And by delivering it, through our technology, by de- delivering capital and a loan through our platform, we take the friction out of that process.
0: Yeah. So um, is, that, um, is that in-house these days? Is a lot of that tech in-house?
1: Yeah, so the, the, the tech, the, the layer of the technology that the customer uh, or the capital, I'm sorry, rather the contractor experience is all our proprietary technology. Um, we've, we've developed it uh, for our own for our own benefit so yes.
0: That's awesome. Um, And that was, I mean, that was part of the layering in. I mean, you had it from day one or maybe not from day one, but you've continued to enhance that over time. So to, I mean, you are a FinTech company and I didn't realize that when we started the conversation, I just.
1: Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. Um, You know, it is our, our technology platform, um, you know, helps make that process incredibly, incredibly simple. And we've, Yes we you know we had a platform five years ago,, uh, but we've spent the last you know five plus years investing significantly in the platform to make it more and more efficient uh, to ensure that we have robust underwriting and to give a great customer experience
0: so then y'all use that you put that platform slowly, so I mean, the growth strategy is to continue to make it easier for installers and home remodeling folks. To take that and leverage it up. So it's all about making it smoother for folks that maybe haven't used technology at all in the past. And so, I mean, you're to, um, you all have to train those folks too, then.
1: Yeah, that that's right. So if I think about in the home improvement space, it's not uncommon for a contractor to ask a customer today if they'd like financing for the you know, $12,000 HVAC system or their. $18,000 roof. And the customers say, yes, I'd love that. And then they pull out a piece of paper and say, great, fill out this piece of paper and it gets faxed in now, yeah. sunlight. Our entire process is completely digital. We've never had paper go back and forth. There's no faxing. There's no emailing. Um, in fact, when the customer signs their loan agreement, um, they do it digitally through DocuSign. And so it's all integrated. We, we make it a very simple process. And if you think about a, a solar installer or a home improvement contractor, Financing is there to support the sale, and so they don't wake up every day wanting to help process loans. (laughs) They wake up every day wanting to help customers repair or replace their HVAC or get solar on the roof, and so that's why our technology platform needed to be so simple so that it doesn't take significant training to understand how it works. It's just intuitive. It's a very simple, intuitive platform. When you talk
0: about it in that light, there's lots of growth opportunities ahead. I mean, look, you can execute on solar for years and not really have to worry about anything, but you've got multiple channels that you can swim, swim into over time if you want to. So from a growth perspective, sunlight is set up to you know, potentially disrupt multiple different aspects of that space.
1: Yeah, we think that's right. We think solar is growing rapidly, home improvements, a large market um, and is continuing to grow. And so we think we have significant growth, uh, growth opportunities ahead of us.
0: And just like in any startup or any business in general, you put it in the hands of the users, in this case, the contractors, you get their feedback and their feedback essentially creates new business opportunities over time because they say, hey, have you thought about this? And you get enough people that say, have you thought about this? And you say, yeah we've been thinking about it. thanks for validating our project and then we're off and we're releasing version three or four or whatever it is down the line, right
1: That's right and so today we have fourteen thousand customers I'm sorry fourteen thousand uh, contractors who are using our platform and so you know sometimes when I step back and think about what we've built, it's incredible over the last you know five years that we have fourteen thousand people who are helping customers right now go solar or make home improvements. Uh, and our job is to make their job very simple and to help and to help support them. Um, so we're, you know, we're, again, we're really proud of what we've built.
0: Yeah. So one last question. And I told you, I'd let you go um, on on the hour so you can move to your next um, next meeting. Charlotte um, trying to grow the startup ecosystem. Um, you've got investors that are always trying to pick apart founders and businesses. Um and you've now got this green space to be able to move in and out of, right? You've started with the solar panels, you've done now pivoted a little bit or opened up a new channel with home remodeling. What do you say to the investor out there, this analyzing a business and saying, they just don't have it right, or they, they're missing the mark, or um, I can't do it because, right? How do you flip the script? How do you educate the investor to say, it's never bright. It's right. What do you say to the investor? There's always a no person.
1: Well, if they're always a no person, they will probably never be an investor. <laughs> At some point they have to say yes and write a check. Look, <laughs> um, they, 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 Investors see a lot of deals um, and they have to say no to a lot of deals. And I know some terrific investors um, who passed on sunlight um, and they are still terrific investors uh, I think some of them would admit that they probably made made the wrong call, but they're not going to make every call isn't going to be the right call and so as a as a executive who's trying to raise money or a leader of a company, a fast growing company that's you know backed by financial sponsors um I think what's important is not thinking that every investor needs to say yes, but it is understanding you're going to go through hundreds of nos. Um, to get to investors that believe in you. And that's normal. Even the best businesses have that. The other thing that I think is really important. And so it, on, one, on one hand, it takes really thick skin to understand. I'm going to go in, I'm going to give it my all. And they'll probably tell me no for a variety of reasons. Um, but the other thing that's I think is really important is being humble enough to listen to the feedback. Uh, even some of those investors who said no to us gave us feedback that made us better. And so they may not have written a check Uh, But they gave us a perspective that was very helpful. And so that's a hard thing to both have thick skin and to be humble enough to take the advice. And you can't take everyone's advice uh, because if the, you know, if the investor knew exactly what should be built, they'd probably be building it. Uh, And so it's a really, that's a hard balance for, you know, for, for leaders of, of companies. Uh, But it's a really important lesson, I think.
0: Yeah. No, it's a, it's a really solid point. I think it's a great way to end the podcast. And um, again, Matt, congratulations Um, thanks for hopping back on the podcast with us a couple years later thanks for your success and all the contributions you've given to the city um, and keep on knocking down those those barriers
1: up ahead of you right awesome thanks for having me again William great chatting thanks man good luck thank you
2: a certain level of skill or training. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Portis Wealth Advisors. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Portis Wealth Advisors does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance. Investments described herein may be speculative and may involve a substantial risk of loss. Interest may be offered only to persons who qualified as accredited investors under applicable state and federal regulation or an eligible employee of the management company. There generally is no public market for the interest. Prospective investors should particularly note that many factors affect performance, including changes in the market conditions and interest rates and other economic, political, or financial developments. Past performance is not and should not be construed as indicative of future results.